Hello, and welcome to episode number 19 in the series, Leaving the Church to Follow Jesus. I'm your host of the Called Out Cafe, Doug Hooley. In today's episode, we'll be looking at what Jesus had to say to the seven ecclesias in the book of Revelation about what they should keep in mind as far as when they gather in the name of Jesus. I need to let you know about <clears throat> excuse me, something that's been affecting the regularity of when I post new episodes. It's always been my intention to post one a week. Well, along with the podcast, I've also been producing a series of instructional videos, which you can find on my YouTube channel, and doing some instructional writing, which I post on my Doug Hooley Ministries Facebook page, and I've started a new series of short videos that I call, That's All I Got to Say About That. You can link to those on my Facebook page or go to them directly on YouTube. Those uh, short videos have to do more with uh, current events that may be affecting the ecclesia, and things that I've been studying and uh, reacting to comments that I get online, those kind of things. Anyway, uh, you may have heard me to refer to the fact that I'm experiencing some health challenges. Well, it would take at least a half hour, honestly, to explain to you what those are. But right now, my life sounds like an episode of, remember the show House? It was a weekly television show of the past where Dr. House would try to figure out what's going wrong with his patient <laughs> that has a number of bizarre symptoms that nobody else seems to be able to figure out. Well, after numerous tests and doctor's office visits and procedures this past fall and winter, I'm starting to get some answers. And those answers are heading in the direction of a couple upcoming surgeries. And of course, surgeries require more doctor's visits and time to heal. Well, rather than say, I'll see you next fall <laughs> with the next episode, I decided to just see how I do and produce new podcasts and other materials as my body allows me to do. So we'll see what God has planned. But for now, let's get on with the show. <laughs> By the end of the first century, when the book of Jesus' revelation was given to the Apostle John, many local ecclesia cells had been established throughout the Roman Empire. These included North Africa, Europe, and the entire Middle East, Asia Minor, and beyond. There are at least 33 different individual cells of the ecclesias mentioned in the New Testament alone. I mean, those are just the ones that we know about. There were undoubtedly hundreds or even thousands more that were not mentioned. Why, out of all the ecclesias in existence at that time, did Jesus address his revelation to seven specific Ecclesias. Well, the ecclesias in Asia Minor that Jesus selected, they must serve as the best examples of what Jesus wanted to illustrate to not only those of the Apostle John's day, but every generation that has existed since then, including ours. The overall context of the revelation of Jesus is that of the end of this age, you know, the second coming. So it makes total sense that the issues raised with the seven churches are issues that will exist throughout this age. Like the letters of the apostles contained in the rest of the New Testament, these many letters contained within the book of Revelation to the seven churches bring into focus enduring principles that the ecclesias of all times in any location can count on. Yes, each of the seven churches the letters were originally addressed to were experiencing 
the very real situations that Jesus addressed. But those circumstances typified the things which Jesus was and is concerned with today. The most important observation one can grasp is that it's Jesus who is personally watching, aware of, and concerned over, and calling the shots regarding what's going on among the local cells of his ecclesia on this earth. When Jesus appeared to John, he was holding seven stars in his right hand, and Jesus was, not John, right? (laughs) And was standing among seven golden lampstands. Are they golden? All right, just seven lampstands, maybe gold, maybe not. Anyway, As is most often the case in the book of Revelation, this symbolism was defined in the immediate context. Let me read to you from Revelation chapter 1, verses 20 to chapter 2, verse 1. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven ecclesias. Well, the seven lampstands clearly represent the seven separate communities of the called out that Jesus is addressing. Jesus doesn't address the seven individual, physical realm, planet Earth-based ecclesias as though they are one universal body. In other words, it's not a worldwide organization he's speaking to. He's got individual messages for all. And although the message is for all... It's to seven separate local cell groups his message is being sent to. It's the ecclesias, plural, that he walks among. Not a single universal ecclesia. That's an important point to get. At the end of his revelation, Jesus says this, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the ecclesias, plural. Are you getting the difference there? There is like this universal church that where uh, people try to sell to us that we are all one universal church on this earth, uh, as opposed to local ecclesias, local churches. Uh, yes, there is a universal ecclesia, and that's based in heaven. Here on earth, we are sojourners, strangers in a foreign land, operating in these cells until Jesus brings his kingdom with him to this earth. And then truly, we will all be one universal ecclesia. Individual elect gathered in local communities, just like they do today. That's how Jesus thinks of and communicates with the called out who are on the earth. That's how he did it in the book of Revelation. Not as one cohesive, universal, homogenous institution you know, like with a pope at the head of it. Well, to borrow imagery from the Apostle Peter, that institution is what Jesus is currently building out of living stones. And that institution is based, like I said, until the end of this age, in heaven. Now, the quarry for these living stones is on this earth, right? There's so many of us that have went on to be with him in heaven, but everyone who went on to him in heaven is, of course, started out on this earth. So you can think of this earth as the quarry of these living stones that Peter's talking about. 
Well, the solutions for problems Jesus gives and his expectations are customized for each different cell, each different locality. Jesus knows what their strengths are and where their weaknesses are amongst his ecclesias. He also knows when all he can ask is that they only, quote, hold on to what they have, unquote. Now, remember the word angels in that scripture I read to you. The word angels that are associated with the seven ecclesias leaves us with a little interpreting to do. There are two main theories. Number one, the angels represent seven spiritual angelic beings who are given the responsibility to watch over the seven ecclesias. Uh, Why is that significant? Well, do we have those today if there are such beings watching over ecclesias? Well, as much as the Bible testifies to the existence of spiritual realm beings that have authority given to them by God over geographic regions, it's kind of unlikely that these are angelic beings that we're talking about here. Why would Jesus dictate a letter to a mortal human, you know, the Apostle John, and have him deliver it to seven spiritual beings? How would that even happen? (laughs) How was John to locate these angelic beings to hand them the letter? (laughs) And the, the other theory is drawing on the fact that the Greek word transliterated as angelos literally means messenger, and that the same word has been used to refer to human messengers elsewhere in the Bible. The second major theory is that these seven angels represent humans who have some level of responsibility for the seven ecclesias, like pastors or elders, to, to convey messages to them. Clergy throughout time have used this theory to support the idea of how special to Jesus the leaders of his churches are. However, those clergy members who want to feel like they're more important to Jesus than others are going to need to look elsewhere for scriptural support. There's a third and much simpler explanation that fits better with what we know from the rest of scripture. At the end of the first century, the vast majority of Gentile people were illiterate. As the Gospels and letters from the Apostle of Jesus were circulated amongst the ecclesias, circulated amongst the ecclesias, It was common for a trustworthy, designated, literate person in each locality to read the letters aloud for the rest to hear. This person was eventually officially referred to as the reader. By the mid-third century, as the Christian religion grew in complexity, rules spelled out the official selection criteria for those readers. And since it was the official reader who passed on the messages contained in the letters, they were quite literally considered to be the message givers in each ecclesia. One reader, with letter in hand, may have made his way to several locations in the area to deliver the message, not just one ecclesia. Remember, uh, don't think of the early ecclesias as we think of churches today, like these little buildings scattered throughout It could be a group of three people in one place and ten people in another, and possibly, I mean, like the largest groups they had then were like 30 believers. So he could have made his way on a circuit. Literally, the messenger, the angel uh, of the churches in a region. For example, the reader in the ecclesia at Laodicea would probably deliver the message to the nearby called-out ones of Hierapolis, uh, not that far away from Laodicea. Well, the idea of Revelation chapter 1 is to convey the awesomeness 
of Jesus in his current state. It's to inspire confidence that he is fully aware of what's going on amongst the ecclesias, and he is in total control. Now, remember, this is like 60 years after he ascended into heaven, and he's coming back to let us know, to let them know, and us now, that he's got his eye on what's going on, his finger on the pulse of the ecclesias. Well, to hold the messengers of the ecclesias in his right hand is to say that the message that they are relaying is trustworthy and true, as though it was written by Jesus' own strong right hand, as if he's saying, listen to what these messengers are reading. It's important and comes directly from me. Well, that message is still important, still comes directly from Jesus. It's trustworthy and true. Well, in each of the seven mini letters, you know, they're, these letters, if you're not familiar, familiar with them, they're addressed to seven different churches, real churches at the time, in seven different locations throughout uh, what was called Asia Minor, but is now uh, Turkey. All of these locations are contained within, like, western Turkey. Well, in each of those many letters contained in chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation, Jesus makes it clear that he knows the specific circumstances and what they're doing in their individual localities. He says to each one of them, I know your works. And since the word works brings Christianized images to mind, like serving food in a soup kitchen or working in the nursery on Sunday, a better way of translating this statement is, I am aware of what you are doing. Or even better, I know what's going on with you. Or maybe even, look, I know every move you guys are making. <laughs> right? That's the idea here. Whichever way you translate it, the implications of the book of Revelation for local cells of ecclesia today is obvious. Jesus is watching, concerned, and has stuff he wants us to know. He intervenes, and he takes corrective actions, like personally. Jesus promised that he was going to personally take corrective action against all of those who failed to heed his words and repent from the things that he accused them of. He spoke of taking action against both individual called-out ones and the groups as a whole. Well, why would the called-out ones of our time believe it's any different today? God, after all, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Each of the seven ecclesias received a promise from Jesus, which started with the words, To him who overcomes. Essentially, his promises involve eternal life, being recognized and accepted by God the Father through the recommendation and work of Jesus, and ruling and reigning with Jesus over the earth. How do we overcome? By saving the rest of the world from their sin? Or is it by scratching and clawing as I try to hang on to my constitutional rights and the American way of life that I've come to expect? <laughs> do I overcome by entering the world of politics? Or by making a stand for social justice issues? Or by serving the poor and needy in the community. Are those seriously the things that were important to Jesus when he came back to dictate his letters to John? 
Well, as worthy as any of these endeavors may be for the well-being of the world, it's only through the heeding of the words of Jesus, who is the overcomer, that anyone will overcome. Only those who are in Him will overcome. Being in Him means believing in and placing all of our trust and hope in Him. It means trusting what He tells us to do. That's what we must do. And it means that we are to try to the best of our ability to do it. Jesus gave the seven ecclesias several things to do in order to overcome. So what are those several things? What was so important that necessitated Jesus appearing to his last remaining disciple over 60 years after his ascension to heaven? Did he come back to check on how the Great Commission was coming? Did he want to give the ecclesia encouragement to become involved in social services in their communities? Was he upset about the mistreatment of slaves? Was he concerned that his people weren't growing wealthy enough? Was he upset that the amount in the offering plates wasn't enough or that church attendance was not meeting his expectations? Well, the answer to all of these questions is a resounding no. So, what is important to Jesus for his ecclesias to know? What does he want them to know? The first ecclesia Jesus addressed was in and around the coastal city of Ephesus. Jesus praised their patience and their perseverance. Patience and perseverance are fruits of having a confident expectation of something positive in the future despite current circumstances. That is the definition of biblical hope. Hope is especially important in the book of Revelation. Nearly the entire book has something to do with hope in Jesus and what he said and what he said he would do. Revelation is a call for the patient endurance and faithfulness of the ecclesia. Contrast that with what pre-tribulation rapturists say, that what Jesus is trying to tell us is that we don't need to worry about going through any kind of tribulation and persecution. Anyway, I don't want to get off track here. Jesus also appreciated that the church in Ephesus had maintained the integrity of their faith by being watchful and guarding against false teachers. They also retained the integrity of their faith by maintaining internal discipline. They did not, quote, bear those who are evil, unquote. The problem that Jesus had with the Ephesians as a group is that they had lost their first love. Jesus' advice to them was to remember the way that it was when they first heard the gospel and when they responded to it then. He wanted them to show their love by again responding to the gospel in the same zealous way that they had when they first came to believe in Jesus. Well, Jesus did not pull any punches regarding the persecution of the elect. That's the case with the second ecclesia Jesus addressed, the called-out ones of Smyrna. The called out are not appointed to suffer God's wrath when one day he will pour out his judgment on the earth. However, the New Testament loudly and repeatedly shouts that those who follow Jesus can expect to be hated and persecuted by the world right up until his return. Jesus' words to those in Smyrna were consistent with this. He didn't promise rescue from persecution. He said being sent to prison and being put to death for their faith was in their future. However, 
He also promised eternal life for those who were faithful until the end. Being a part of the Ecclesia does not entitle anyone to a charmed, trouble-free life in this current age. On the contrary, it comes with a cross-shaped target to bear on your back, marking you as an alien in a foreign land, a hostile alien whose king does not want you to play in any local reindeer games. The cross on the backs of the called-out ones gives the citizens of the kingdom of this world, with Satan as their king, something to aim at. The defense against such persecution, what is it? It's to maintain faith, maintain hope, and love. Be watchful and abide in Jesus until our mortal bodies put on immortality, at which time the persecution will finally stop. But faith, hope, and love, even though our, the persecution stops, is going to continue. The third group of called out ones Jesus addressed was the local ecclesia at Pergamos. They're said to have dwelled where Satan's throne is. Yet, in the middle of the persecution they were suffering, at the hands of Satan's minions, they were still known by Jesus as being loyal to him, even to the point of death. Nevertheless, Jesus accused them of buying into false teaching. The next ecclesia was located at Thyatira. Jesus praised, sometimes you'll hear it pronounced Thyatira, uh, feel free either way. <laughs> well, Jesus praised their embrace of the basic principles of the ecclesia when he said this. And remember what I'm talking about, the basic principles, of course, are faith, hope, and love. This is from Revelation chapter 2, verse 19. I am aware of your actions, your love, faith, service, and patience, which is the fruit of hope. And all these actions have increased since the beginning. Despite the positive feedback from Jesus, he wasn't happy with the ecclesia's failure to maintain fidelity. They'd allowed sexual immorality to be introduced into their fellowship by a way of a false teacher that Jesus referred to as Jezebel. Jesus called for their unconditional repentance, but not everybody at Thyatira had fallen into the false teaching and acted out in sin. All Jesus asked of the faithful ones who didn't engage in that behavior was to simply hold fast to what you have until I come. What awesome advice when all seems lost. The next ecclesia addressed was in or around the community of Sardis, Jesus accuses this community of believers of being dead. He encourages them to be watchful, a word that in Greek means to be actively vigilant and awake, to the point of intently looking at something. Jesus tells the Sardinians, <laughs> I guess they could be sardines, I, maybe, as they remain watchful to remember and hold on to that which they had previously heard and received. In other words, hold on to the true information their original belief or faith was based on. This is another group of the called out where Jesus, his own advice is not to save the world for him, but only to guard themselves from false teaching and endure until he returns. The ecclesia at Philadelphia managed to maintain their loyalty to Jesus and to keep Jesus' word, or do what he said, despite having little strength. 
Jesus tells them that because they kept his command to persevere and maintain their loyalty, that he will keep them from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world. However this promise plays out, it's clear that Jesus values perseverance and loyalty. Like some of the other ecclesias, Jesus asks that they merely hold fast to what they have. He's not asking them to save the world. The final local community of the called out ones Jesus addressed is that of the Laodiceans. Jesus was very displeased with them. He accuses them of being lukewarm. The Laodiceans were largely a physically affluent people, which were blind to the fact that they were spiritually wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. That's a quote. Jesus advises them to become zealous and repent or risk being spewed out of his mouth. Jesus is enthusiastic about the called out having passion and is passionate about them possessing enthusiasm regarding their walk with him. What this means is that he demands of those he calls out from amongst the rest of the world to go all in on following him. Nothing held back. Repenting means to turn around and go in the other direction. As Jesus commands the ecclesia to be zealous, and he associates that with repenting, we can assume that the ecclesia in Laodicea was the opposite of zealous. To be zealous means to be fanatical, (laughs) passionate, and enthusiastic. To have a warm feeling for or against something. Given the totality of Scripture and knowing what it says is important regarding the ecclesia, we can assume the ecclesia at Laodicea was unmotivated to grow in their faith. They were dispassionate about maintaining their hope in the things that Jesus spoke of. They were apathetic in showing love towards one another and indifferent about doing good. The reason communities of ecclesias exist is to equip the individual called out to follow Jesus wherever he takes them. Jesus wants his ecclesias to be enthusiastic about growing and maturing in their truth-based faith. He wants them to be confidently expecting, actively watching for, and excited about looking for the day that he's going to return and put all things right. And... He wants them to be passionate and serious about doing the work of loving one another in the ecclesia. Some, usually those who hold to the pre-tribulation rapture theory, say that after Revelation chapters 2 and 3 that we don't see the ecclesia in the book of Revelation until the end when we see the bride, who they identify as the church, coming down out of heaven. The reason they say that the church is absent from most of Revelation is because it's been raptured. And the reason they say that the church has been raptured is because the church is not appointed to suffer God's wrath. You know, that's a fact. And the rest of Revelation is all about God's wrath. That's not so much a fact. The prophetic future of the ecclesia is outside the scope of this podcast series, but much of this is simply untrue. I address this topic in my book based on Jesus' Olivet Discourse called Watch. I also did a podcast series on that, and it's still available. And the book watch is available on Amazon.com. In Jesus' talk on the Mount of Olives, documented in Matthew chapter 24 to 25, Luke 21, and Mark 13, Jesus fills in his disciples on his return to the earth and the end of the age. In short, 
in Revelation where it's concerned, the ecclesia can be seen in many places throughout the book of Revelation. Martyrs who are part of Jesus' ecclesia are seen under the altar in heaven. We see the called out on the earth being persecuted at the hands of the Antichrist and his false prophet well into the infamous tribulation period. A vast multitude of called out ones are seen before the throne of God in heaven, following being raptured in chapter 7. After the return of Jesus, we see the ecclesia ruling and reigning on the earth with Jesus during his thousand-year kingdom on this earth. And then finally, we do see a city called the New Jerusalem coming down out of the new heaven to the earth. The New Jerusalem is described as being prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This New Jerusalem, which is not the bride, but only like a bride, represents all the people of God, which not only includes the ecclesia of this age, but also those judged to be righteous from before the time of the ecclesia, like Moses is an example, and those judged as righteous during the millennial kingdom of Jesus, which is yet in our future. It's only through Jesus that any of these groups may be declared righteous and allowed to inherit eternal life and be in right standing with God. But man, the church is there in Revelation. Many times, just the word ecclesia is not used. It's referred to in many other different ways. The saints, the holy ones, uh, those who keep the, to the teachings of Jesus, etc. Um, but it's clearly the church. Summing up what Jesus had to say to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, it was the awesome divine plan of God that dictated that Jesus' revelation of the ecclesias would close out the New Testament. In that book, Revelation, are found Jesus' own words that were spoken directly to his called out on earth. Sometimes, Lost in the prophetic message of the book of Revelation are Jesus' words of discernment, caution, accusation, recognition, praise, instruction, comfort, and hope to the called out. Any local ecclesia operating without knowledge and understanding of these words is operating apart from Jesus. It's like a body trying to operate without its head. Now, Jesus could have addressed any issues that he wanted to when he checked in with the Apostle John in the Isle of Patmos around A.D. 96. He could have stressed any deficiency in the ecclesias that were bugging him. He could have commanded a stronger emphasis to be placed on anything, but he didn't. And we would all do well to pay close attention to what it is that he did say, what he did stress, what it is that he doesn't like, and he even hates and what it takes to overcome and gain eternal life. Jesus stressed abiding in patient endurance and having a confident expectation in the things that he promised, which is hope. He repeatedly calls on us to maintain our faith by guarding against false teachers. He expects us to maintain the integrity of the ecclesia by not allowing sin to take hold in the local ecclesia. This is accomplished through internal discipline. Jesus warns that the main challenge for his true ecclesia will be that of persecution. Those who are in Jesus should not be surprised, but rather expect persecution at the hand of the world, its systems, its media, its people, its governments. Through the persecution, 
Jesus only asks that we continue our loyalty, that we persevere, and that we just hold on to our faith in him. How drastically different that message is from what we typically can hear in churches today. Jesus calls on those in the ecclesia to retain the actions associated with the love they first experienced when they came to trust in Jesus. First love comes with a rare passionate zeal. But whereas normal first love between people will almost always fade, the first love of Jesus, because we're indwelled with the Spirit of God, does not have to fade. The passionate first love Jesus is speaking of will be shown as a passion for knowing and understanding Him better. The one experiencing first love longs to see their lover. They're obsessed with the hope in seeing her or him. The lover of Jesus will live in such a passionate hope. First love demands that love be shown or put into action. Those in love will actively look for ways to take care of and support one another. And first love is protective. It won't allow in outsiders into the relationship. It won't allow anyone to interfere. The mission of the Ecclesias on earth, according to the last words of Jesus recorded, is not to take over, not to fix, not to impose upon, comfort, or convert the world, but to overcome the world. Any Ecclesia will only overcome through maintaining faith in Jesus, hope in what he said, and love for one another within the Ecclesia. That's it for this time. We've covered the entire New Testament and what it has to say about the gathering of the Ecclesia. Next time, Lord willing, there is a next time, and whenever that next time is, we'll start in on a new section of this series. We're going to be covering 2,000 years of church history. This was my favorite section to work on in the book. I researched and read to prepare for this section for literally years. The entire project lasted six years, and most of that was research and reading. We're going to be looking at church history to see how we got from what the New Testament says the ecclesia is and how it should function to what the church experience of today is. But until then, may God bless you. Shalom and Maranatha. Thanks for joining me today. Until my next podcast, you can follow me on Facebook by going to the Doug Hooley Ministries page. I'm on Twitter at at Doug H. Ministries. And I'm on Instagram at Doug Hooley Ministries. Find out about what I'm working on and read some of my blogs at DougHooley.com. Or email me at Doug at DougHooley.com. That's Doug at D-O-U-G-H-O-O-L-E-Y dot com. I'd love to hear from you. This has been the Called Out Cafe. So long and God bless. Thank you.